Bowen and diners and ninja cooks. We're coming at that time of the year again where we're thinking about holidays, Jewish holidays, non-Jewish holidays. Uh, we're going to start out with a book that's been getting a lot of um, attention. It's um, Daniel Renoff's, Danielle Renoff's, Peas, Love, Love and Carrots. And it's suggested that it's a great gift book if you're going someplace for Jewish holidays. But I think that all of the books that we're talking about today are how to up your cooking game. They all got kind of wacky ass titles too. Yeah, well, (laughs) I guess that's what's wacky ass about Peas, Love and Carrots. Peas, Love and Carrots? It doesn't sound like a dish you'd eat, does it? Anyway, let, let's let's whirl the tape of, of what's the name again? It's uh, Danielle Reynolds, and it's peas, love, and carrots. Oh, I just I just got a, a revelation from our next guest, Danielle Renoff. Uh, we're going to be talking to her about her book, Peas, Love, and Carrots, the cookbook. Um, it's also the um, her um, Instagram um, name and also her um, her blog. Um, and I read, I've been reading all about her, and I've been reading her cookbook. And <laughs> she just now told me. I said, "How many children do you have?" And she said, seven. <laughs> oh, you you think that's not? I mean, I think I'd put that right out front in all the press material. <laughs> can, can you can you remember all their names? That's the question. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the day, the time of day, <laughs> how early I started drinking. You know, it all depends. <laughs> oh dear! Now, now today you you're talking to us from Israel. Yes, yes, I am in, currently in Jerusalem, Israel. And we're seven hours ahead, so it's about... Oh, oh I okay. We were just debating that if it was seven or six. But, yeah, seven makes yes, more seven sense. seven hours ahead. Actually, this timing is fabulous because, you know, the little ones are asleep, the big ones are <laughs> calm. It's just like the perfect time of day. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, you have so many elements. Let me start by saying that this is... Um, a very serious cookbook, even though it's shot through with with um, humor from time to time. When your personality comes out, you can see you've got a good sense of humor. Uh, but it's a very serious cookbook, and it's not just, you know, like um, we get cookbooks that are just uh, for um, you know, special meals and so on. I mean, you're you're seriously cooking meals all week long and shopping for and for the uh, ingredients, and, I mean, you, you worked hard on this book. I did. I, I work hard every day because, you know, I have to feed my family. And actually, in Israel, um, children come home for lunch. So I really cook three meals a day. You know, I cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I have a lot of time to practice. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. I uh, have them taste test recipes. But... You know, it, it takes a lot to feed a family, and actually, it takes a lot to feed yourself. You know, um, if we want to nourish our body and fill our bodies with good, wholesome food, and you know, food that transports us maybe to a different culture, or different place and time, and 
you know, does all the great things that food can do for us, we need to invest in it. And I really wanted to provide recipes that, you know, um, can run the gamut of what we want to accomplish. So some days, you know, we need a quick and easy dinner that's nourishing and filling and that's what some of these recipes are. And some days, you know, we want to spend all day in the kitchen with a more involved recipe, and we have some of those. And, you know, we have recipes for the nights where you just want to feed yourself at 9 p.m. and recipes where you want to, you know, create a family dinner party or put out a huge holiday feast. So I really wanted to give, you know, there's almost 300 recipes in the book, and I really wanted to make sure that there was something for everybody because the inclusivity is really, really important to me. And, you know, if you're spending money on the book, I really wanted to give you the most for your money. Oh, there's a lot in here. There's, I mean, yeah. you, you start with um, just your introduction puts the tone that, that you're very serious about the food and cooking and nutrition and, and love and family and connections and community. Uh, that comes right out on the top. And then, it, then you get into some basics like mechanics, like I love how to follow a recipe. Who thought that there would ever be an issue with how you would follow a recipe? And then what did you, know you what? say about I, it? I was so lucky because I had the opportunity to operate my Peas, Love, and Carrots platform on Instagram, which is really like my main platform that I work off of. And it gave me the opportunity to directly interact through direct messages with people that were making the recipes. And over the last four years, you know, I answer close to – 1,500 to 2,000 messages a day, and I answer them myself. I refuse to outsource that to a secretary because I want to know what the people want to know. I want to know what they're having problems with. I want to know what their questions are. I want to know what they don't understand and what they do understand. And I really had four years to learn all that before I wrote this cookbook, and I saw that for, you know, a novice cook following a recipe was itself intimidating because nobody ever taught them how. Nobody ever yes. taught them the difference between one cup of strawberries and one cup of chopped strawberries. <laughs> I love that one. I I, I did a, a chef's cookbook, and I couldn't get him to understand <laughs> these little details. <laughs> Exactly. That you know, there are nuances, and you know, people say all you need to do to start cooking is just open a recipe book, and yes, eventually you'll learn through a lot of trial and error. But I feel like this page will really help you get a lot of, you know, um, and set you up for success. Technically, just you look at the recipe, try to give you as much information as I possibly can on each page, so that. Yeah, well, you, I loved your, this is the first time I, I came across this. And I've, in, in 17 years plus, I'm, I've seen a lot of cookbooks. <laughs> but you, never before you have 86 things I want you to know about this book and cooking in general. I found it absolutely fascinating. I mean, there are things that I'm not sure I totally agree with, but... But, you know, there are things that nobody's addressed usually. I mean, I, I don't know any other cookbook recently that I've been reading that addresses some of these things. Well, like, like, what, <laughs> like what kind of things? Though? What kinds of things? Yes. Yeah. She starts out with number one. Before you start cooking, wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> and now of all times, I mean, you know, I, mean, I certainly hope people know to do I know. that. I was, I 
was ahead of the trend. You know, the book went to print in February. So, oh, yeah, so, so you, we didn't even know. You got know. ahead. Yes, you know, um, we didn't even know. With a, which of these 86 things, which pick out several that you figure people in general, since you interact with your audience so much, in general, they don't know to do? Um, in general, they don't know to do. Okay. Um, well, I think there's a few different categories in the 86 things because there's some things that are very applicable to this book specifically and some things that are applicable to, like, cooking or life in general. So, um, Yeah, that's true, too. They're okay, different. I think number 10, like, children are guaranteed to be more open to tasting new foods and dishes when they are in some way involved in how it ended up in yeah, front of them. Yeah, no, I've, I've known that, that's too. Like, I think that's something that they don't tell mothers. Yeah. I mean, I I have a picky granddaughter, and I mean, I know that that's true. Yeah, so I think that's like, you know, that's a great one. Um, I love number 14. Cinnamon and ginger are not just for baking. Expand your horizons. You know, I'm Moroccan, so cinnamon and ginger are mainstream spices in Moroccan cuisine. They're used in savory dishes. And it's actually really delicious. And we can go beyond, you know, paprika, onion powder, and garlic powder. We really can. And, like, I think that's a great one also. Um, What else? Uh, I'm looking You know, somebody actually, this this thing with the cinnamon, um, it was a a, somebody, a, a cook from the Middle East, I guess, which is we'll talk about that in a minute, um, she taught me to put um, a, a pinch of cinnamon in my salad dressings, not to make yeah, them, uh, yeah, just to, to It, to like, warms the, them up in a way and just balances their flavor. <laughs> cinnamon and lemon is such a good combination. So if you have, like, a really acidic vinaigrette, it really just, and you don't know what it is. They don't know it's cinnamon, but it's really wonderful. Uh-huh, yeah. Now I started doing that, too. Um Amazing. Now, we're, we missed, we skipped over something fairly essential to this. You mentioned culture, um, and at, at one when we were talking, but um, you blend a, a number of different uh, cultures and also um, cuisines. Um, you are yes. a singular melting pot in a way. <laughs> Tell us about that. No, I, I actually am. I'm, I'm a mutt, if you will. I'm half. I'm a half Moroccan, half American. My father mm-hmm. was born in New York, and my mother was born in Morocco, and um, came to America as a young adult. And my parents really fused both their cultures in our home. And you know, I grew up, you know, really with the best of both worlds. I was very lucky. Yeah, I would say Moroccan food is just, it, it, I, I love it. Um, yeah, this, we just did a, um, also, uh, um, you, you, it, tell us also about other influences. You had, you, you grew up in Long Island, so, did you? Yeah, I was born in, in New York. I grew up in Long Island. Um, and, you know, I lived in a home where my parents obviously came from different food cultures. And my mother really learned to cook for my father also foods that he wanted. So one night for dinner we could have, you know, um, like fried chicken 
or hot dogs and hamburgers or roast beef or hot roast. <laughs> and, you know, and the next night you have tikla tomates or have a chicken tagine or a lamb stew or, you know, something wonderfully Moroccan and delicious. And my mother really did this balancing act of, act of you know, serving us Moroccan food and American food and Jewish Ashkenazi food. Um, yeah you know, really, really well, and it was amazing. And then I picked up when I got married 13 years ago and moved to Israel, and Israel itself is a melting pot of cultures. You know, it's a debate whether Israel even has its own identity. I know. I've been in a lot of, since Israeli cooking has become so hot now. Yeah. You know, I've been, we've right. interviewed it's a lot of whether Israeli cuisine is even its own thing because Israel is such a young country, and it's such a melting pot of all these different cultures, you know, so many Jews that came over after the war from Eastern Europe, and then there's Moroccans and, and people from Turkey and Iran and Syria and Iraq and Yemen and Greece and all over the world that, you know, it just came into Israel, which is this tiny little country, and it took the best of everything and sort of created, you know, quote-unquote Israeli cuisine, which is its own melting pot. And then I took that, Israeli cuisine and mixed it with my melting pot that already existed, and that's what this book is. It's just one giant mashup of all these cultures that I've absorbed through my life, and in the end, there really is something for everyone in here, and I love that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, you you have, um, the, well, <laughs> yeah, you do have something for everyone. Now, with all of this going on, um Tell us the story about um, you have stories throughout the book attached to these recipes, which gives us a lot of insight. And before going further, I want to say this is not only a serious cookbook, but it is a beautiful cookbook. And I think Thank that you. we ought to give a special call out to the photographer, the food stylist. Yeah. Tell us who, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes you just. Um, Everything comes together. I had a very strong visit, vision because I, you know, I have this platform and I have a style and I have a food photography style, and I really needed to make sure that when my community um, came together and saw the book, you know, the, from the Peas Loving Carrots Instagram and then saw the book Peas Loving Carrots, that they knew exact, they knew that they were attached. Everything we had built, you know, let's say the brands around it, the look, the feel of it was Peas Loving Carrots and. I was very fortunate enough to be able to find a team that I could really, really explain my vision to. And we had uh, Moshe Williger was the photographer, and Aisha Patel was the prop stylist, and Frances um, Boswell was the food stylist, and her assistant, Leela Clifford. And um, they really, really, really understood my vision. And, you know, it was just incredible. I actually brought three suitcases of props from Israel with me that I've collected over the years, things that my grandmother has passed down. And I really wanted a mix of modern and clean, but with my Moroccan heritage in there. And we were really able to capture it. And it's just the team, the like just everything synergized and worked together. Oh, it's beautiful. And I mean, I I, I might mention that uh, that this actually is is meant as something you use yourself, but it's also the kind of book you'd like to give to somebody who you really care about. I think it's a, a great gift so. book. So, so I got that covered. Now, why start out 
the book as expansive as this with a challah recipe. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, and I live in Israel, and the book is called Foundations. And the first chapter, every chapter is self-explanatory. I really wanted the book to be very simple and easy for users to use. So any salad is in the salad recipe, any chicken is in the poultry recipe, any meat is in the meat recipe, so on and so forth. And then there was like Oh, and you also tell us about these little sayings you introduced, all of this. It took me a while to catch on what you were doing. (laughs) All you need is love. (laughs) K-N-E-A-D. But this one for every chapter page. Every chapter. Every chapter page, like coinciding it, has this like cute little food pun. Because, you know, I just think puns make you smile. You see them and they make you smile. And I just want you to, you know, I want you to look at my book and be smiling. So... Um, I came up with all of these food puns. I, like, crowdsourced, like, you know, give me your best food puns, and then people gave me some, and I, you know, translated them, and I mixed them up, you know, to work with the chapters, and I think it came out just adorable and, like, starts off each chapter with a good foot. And then, you know, I started with the challah recipe because the foundations recipe is a lot of recipes that you maybe could use to build up your pantry or your freezer or things like that, or dips and mayonnaises and things like that that you would maybe serve with other recipes. And, you know, what's better with a dip than challah? You know, nothing. And challah is just delicious. And, you know, it has a lot of significance to me because I am Jewish. And I felt like it was the appropriate recipe to start the book off with. I I notice uh, that you, you shop almost every day kind of like an old-fashioned thing to do, but is that is that what housewives yeah. do in Israel? That is what it's like here. You know, um, especially Jerusalem, it's like a big city, and most people live in apartments, and we don't have a lot of storage space. So, um, you know, you shop locally. Only in the last five or six years did big box, you know, big chain supermarkets even open. It never existed five or six years ago. So you had a local mart that had dry goods, and a small refrigeration section. And then eight-minute walk from my house is the Shuk, Machana Yehuda. It's an open-air market. And there's vendors. Every stall has a different vendor, and every vendor sells a specialty item. You know, the, a meat guy, a fish guy, a chicken guy, the herb guy, the watermelon guy. The yeah. And you guy. talk them all up. You mentioned that that's a good yeah. thing to do. Well, you know what? You, you, the first few years you live here, you spend a few hours a day wandering the Shuk and getting to know the vendors. And then you pick which guy is your chicken guy, mm-hmm. which lady is your spice lady, you know? And, yeah, we do um, that. People who are serious about food do that, no matter where you live. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know what? It's, it, even if you're serious about people, because, you know, when you get to know these vendors and they're, they're, there's a person behind this business and it's not just, you know, somebody that stocks shelves, um, it's somebody that believes in what they're doing and cares about their product, and maybe their father or even their grandfather or great-grandfather owns that same stall, they take a pride in what they're doing and you get to know them and you become friendly with them and they become a part of your life because they're somebody you see on a regular basis. And it's really wonderful. There's a social aspect to it also. Yes. So, well, and I didn't realize that there were so many dips and... and um and what else we have here? Um, lots, and lots of dips and um, seasonings and things to keep in your pantry, and, um, and, and and you're sensitive to freezing things too, so that you have things you can pull out when you're um, you know caught on the spot and need to produce something. 
Um, I mean, I'm seriously thinking of making the sumac pickled onions. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You should because they are absolutely addictive, and they're so good on everything, like salad, sandwiches, plain, straight-up chicken, any way you want them. They are just so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, you, you seem to have a, a thing for salads, too. I love salads. Well, I live in a, in a, you know, I grew up in Long Island. So, you know, I didn't know <laughs> that um, that you couldn't get all the fruit all year long. I knew that the fruit right. tasted better at different times of the year, but I didn't know that meant you couldn't actually get it. And then 13 years ago, I moved to Israel, and I go to make a recipe with, I think it was blueberries, and I go into the store, and I'm like, do you have blueberries? And the guy looked at me like I was from Mars. What do you mean, do you have blueberries? It's not blueberry season. And I was like, no, I know it's not the season, but, like, I'm, I'm going to cook them down. It'll be fine. And he's like, no, it's not blueberry season. They don't grow. They don't grow. Where would I get blueberries from? And I was like, oh, so that's how it is. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. And then... You know, a few months later, I went in with a paper and pen. I was like, so can you tell me the seasons? Because I, I can't cook like this. I, every day I make a menu, I come in, you tell me it's not in season. What, what are the seasons exactly? And um, and I have to learn from scratch. And it's just a really great part of cooking here because the fruits and vegetables taste delicious. So how can you not love a salad when it's made up of things that are exactly in their season and delicious and fresh and crunchy and yummy and, you know, it never gets old because you're changing it up as you go throughout the year. It's incredible. Well, you know, I mean, there's such a variety of influences in your recipes, too. I mean, you have panzanella salad. You've got the Mexican food. You've, you've got <laughs> and, and things I, I probably would never have thought of to put in a cookbook like salad toppers, and yet I use them, but I just never would think of it, and I don't see that very often. So, I just um, wanted to give people a book where they had everything. So like you said, if you want to give this to a new bride or you want to give this to a seasoned cook, I think there's something for everyone. And, you know, like a savory granola in your salad is delicious, so I want you to know how to make it. Mm-hmm. Here we go stewed chickpeas, chickpeas are having their moment as well. Um, I wanted to check Peter. Did you check? Um, Peter is, is a um, a master of chicken soup. <laughs> oh, did you really? Did you check? Well, well, well we, I, I didn't look, but we, we, keep on, we keep on looking. We keep on adding. So one, one time we had Yemeni chicken soup. The main feature of that being that it has turmeric in it. So we have turmeric now. And I have turmeric in it. And Yemeni chicken soup, but usually it has Hawaii. And and told me you can't have chicken soup unless you put dill in it. Yeah, you have so, to have dill. So it's so it's got it's it's quite a it's quite a thing cooking chicken soup, but but when you've got it done, you can eat it for a week. Exactly. So I make chicken soup every week for Shabbos, and mm-hmm. um, I make a huge pot, and I use it all week long because I use the broth in tons of other recipes. So right, I right. love to have it. I'm very picky about my chicken soup. I like the chicken soup to be very, very, very clean oh, and, yeah. you know, not have pieces. So everything actually goes into these mesh chicken soup bags um, and then cooks like that, and I have, like, 
you know, like I like to sear the chicken first and all of this stuff and add the vegetables and let it cook for a very, very long time. And then it's just, you know, it's like this deep golden color and clear and delicious. Oh, so good. Well, you, um, you, you also like artichokes, so you use them in many innovative ways. I guess artichokes probably grow very well in Israel, right? They do. They do. We have a wonderful artichoke season. Um, and actually frozen artichokes here are like extremely common. Like a ver- like it's like a staple pantry freezer item in every grocery store, every little market, every big market. Um, very easy to access here. Well, I think you have an accomplished cookbook here. <laughs> I really do. Um, Thank you. If you – how many years did it take you to do this? Because you've been doing all your other stuff for so long, it's probably hard to sort out how much time was spent directly on the book, right? No, so it was exactly a year. I actually signed the contract in May um, 2019, and the book came out now, so a year and two months, thank God. That's amazing. But you had all that experience from your um, your. Yeah, and I had a great team, and, you know, I worked really hard, and, you know, with hard work, we can accomplish a lot of things. So. But I don't know how you can do it with that many kids. I really don't. <laughs> Here's a question. I, you know, I stay up late at night. I'm not a sleeper. Oh, is there, okay, any, is there anything it. you left out, Danielle? Is there anything you know you left out? I don't think so. I think we covered so much. Now, in the book, I mean, there's got to be a sequel somewhere. <laughs> oh, oh, anything that we left out of the book. Um, yes. You no, know, I don't know if we left anything out. I really wanted it to be like a one and done. You know, a lot of people, including the publisher, tried to convince me to split it into two books, um, make two separate books, but I really, really felt like you know, I don't want you to have to go out and spend, you know, $30 on two separate books. And so now you go out, you spend $30, you get one giant book and a million recipes. And it's really a book that you can have for life and pass down to your children. And, um, you know, I, I did take out my drink cocktail chapter because I had a limit on page. I would have liked to include the cocktail chapter. Um, because I had a lot of Middle Eastern and Moroccan-style cocktails with interesting liqueurs that, you know, are more, um, that are less common in America. But it's okay. We'll, we'll it's save okay. that for a book or something. There you go. Well, Danielle, we're in off the book again, listeners, is Peas, Love, and Carrots, the cookbook, as opposed to uh, distinguish it from the blog or the uh, Instagram um, and uh, it's, it, it, I think it's going to be one of those essential cookbooks. I think it, it really is. And, Danielle, you should be very proud of yourself for doing this. Uh, and uh, I wish you much success with it as well. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station www.aspstation.net Welcome back. 
we're going to be talking to Carissa Bennett, um, and her book is the Oregon Farm Table Cookbook. Um, now, Oregon has been in the news a lot lately. Not, not, not yeah, very bad news. Yeah, but. and it's not great, and it's very un-Oregon, because Oregon, from my experience, is a fairly laid-back place uh, with a lot of interesting people, a lot of good product, um, and, and, and a beautiful place to live. So, so it's we, good we, for us yeah, to examine some of the resources. Yeah, we have to get it sorted. Book. Right? We hope they get it sorted. I want to welcome uh, Carista Bennett, who on the menu radio. Um, she's produced this book about a region that we know and we love very much. It's Oregon, of course. But the book is the Oregon Farm Table Cookbook. And uh, I, I will say, uh, Carista, that um, I, I thought I knew Oregon, but you found places and people uh, in your pr- research of this book that I don't know, as well as some that are old friends. Um, how how did you go about, uh, you're not a native uh, no. to Oregon. You, you moved there when? I moved, in, I moved to Oregon in 2013. I lived in Washington for about 12 years. Uh-huh. And so you would have known um, one of your uh, uh, tributes is from Kate McDermott, so you have probably know Kate. I do. Yes, I yeah. love Kate. Jeez. Pardon? I just love Kate. Yeah, well, she just produced a book, another book on Pie Camp. We love her, too. Yeah, and, and we loved her ex-husband, too, John Rowley. Wonderful. Yeah. So anyhow, um, so tell us, just bring our listeners up to date on how you approached this researching this book and what you were trying to convey. You know, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest since 2002 and uh, moved here in 2013, and I just fell in love with the state, and I've always been an advocate for our local farming community, and uh, I was so thrilled when uh, my publisher asked if I would consider writing this book. And um, I, the research, I it, the research was difficult only because we have about thirty thousand small farms <laughs> in the state of Oregon. I'm sure. So, yeah. yeah. How do you pare that down? <laughs> and uh, our small farms, although our farmland is getting smaller, our small farms are increasing. And uh, so I I actually just did a lot of online research. I called a lot of the farmers. I used uh, some um, guidance from the uh, Oregon State University small farms and um, I spoke uh, with a lot of the individuals there about some of the small farmers and I attended the small farm conference back in 2014 and actually had a chance to meet a few of the small farmers so um, it was a difficult choice to pare down uh, to 39 uh, farms and food producers, I could have included 200 more. <laughs> so, I know. Uh, 
Yeah. Not all of these are really small. I mean, like um, Bob's Red Mill. I mean, that's that's a big operation. It is Bob's Red Mill. He's a, a food a local food producer, but is now international. Um, but I felt I wanted to include Bob because Bob's Red Mill has such a large uh, presence here in the state, and he is everywhere. He's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> he is, and he is an amazing human being. He is such a good person. Uh, the company is so good to the people here in Oregon, and I just felt like we couldn't we couldn't not put Bob in here. And so uh, it was just an honor to meet him. He's a, a wonderful person and truly cares about our local farming community and um, and his employees. And now also Rogue Brewery and Rogue Creamery are, are, are uh, global in, in influence now. Exactly, yes. Uh, Rogue uh, Creamery was such a delightful farm tour. I got to explore oh, the dairy and meet everyone who uh, manages the dairy as well as the creamery. Again, wonderful individuals who are so uh, concerned about how they farm and uh, how they take care of the land and how they take care of the animals and um, and their product, the quality of their product. And they won the 2019 World Cheese Award for Rose River Blue. They yeah, know, we, we interviewed them. We love their cheese. It's, you, have yeah. to, um, you have to have an end to get any of it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we it should... Should include the fact that this this is not the first time Road Creamery is world's best cheese. No. Yeah, they're just an amazing company with such quality uh, quality products, uh, and I think that starts with the fact that they are uh, they they start from the ground up. Uh, you know, it all starts with the land that they use to grow the uh, grass and the different uh, plants for their dairy cattle. Um, so they they are just a wonderful uh, company that we're proud of. We're so proud to have them here in Oregon, and we're really proud of Rogue, uh, Rogue Ale as well. Um, and so, of course, we yeah, have well, to we've been to their We've been to their uh, tasting room, and, and we, uh, oh. we went to a, a wedding, um, like a a cousin of mine married a former Miss Oregon, and then they had oh. the, the wedding there. I mean, not at the oh. Grove, but in that seaside town. What's it called again? Newport. 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 Yeah. Newport. Newport. Yeah. And um, yeah. I started so. making spirits now too, right? And, and yes, right. they are. And might I add, they are fantastic. Uh, one of my favorites is their whiskey. So <laughs> it's really uh huh. Good. Well, why not? Why not? Why? Why shouldn't it be? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So exactly. Let's go to the format of this book. I mean, you you list a hundred and one homegrown recipes. Um, oh, I know the question I wanted to ask you is: Did you do the photography as well? Yes, I did. It's yes. excellent. Of, excellent. Almost all of the photos. Uh, there are a few photos in there that were provided by the farmers or. Um, Bob's Red Mill, of course, they have their own photographer, but 90% of the photos are mine. Well, they're beautiful. And, Thank um, you. 
And so, but you, you lay out these recipes. Now, you made up these recipes. They're very ingenious. Well, thank you. Yes, I started my career as a chef and uh, in 2002. And okay. a lot of these recipes are that I've been making for years, and uh, I felt like they would highlight a lot of the ingredients that we grow here. Yeah, I mean, you have the greatest ingredients in the world to work with. Uh, yes, we do, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, we do. We we have the most amazing seafood. We have some fantastic uh, cattle farms. Uh, we've got um, pasture-raised pigs and chickens and turkeys, and uh, we have uh, the most beautiful produce farms. Uh, that are produce some of the most beautiful and delicious produce. So we we've got a lot to work with here. Now, what what happened to the land around what used to be around St. Helens? Uh, you know, no, did that recover? Pardon? Did that did that land recover? We we drove through it when yes. when it was still burnt to the ground. But, but you could yeah. see little shoots starting to appear. Yes. A lot of it has regrown. Some of it is still there, uh, but a lot of it has regrown, and uh, it is quite a beautiful place to visit now. Um, it is, uh, well, until recently, it was very popular. Um, you had to get there early to be able to find a place to park or to walk. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's still quite a beautiful place and, and has recovered quite nicely. Um, the, so the format of the book is you have these recipes. You're using local uh, ingredients. The, the, the typical Oregon farmer is working with nature, not against nature, um, the, the food is clean, the products are clean, and your recipes highlight all of that. Um, you, then you, you select the, farm, the farmers and you, you do a, um, a, a, not a side, well, it's sort of a sidebar, but it's a little a special a rundown on, on the farmers and the farm themselves. Yeah. And, and they're, a bunch of, of independent types, aren't they? Oh, very. Um, I wanted to I wanted to convey the uh, all of the hard work and all of the um, attention and love and um, passion that goes into farming here. Every every farmer in the book. Um, is extremely concerned about um, land in which they grow their product. They're extremely concerned about the end result, the quality, and most importantly, they're really concerned about feeding their community. And for most of them, that's really why they get they got into farming. Probably most of my farmers are. Uh, first or second generation farmers. I've got a few 
uh, farmers that were sixth generation or seventh generation. I believe Fisher Ridge Farms is a seventh generation farm. But a lot of these farmers are um, new at farming, but extremely compassionate and uh, interested in preserving our land and the integrity of the land in which to grow their product. And OSU uh, and the Oregon uh, Farm Bureau, is they've been wonderful about supporting all of our farmers and all of our new farmers. Um, we have a lot of programs uh, for beginning farmers and a lot of support for our farmers. Which but that's their job, right? I mean, the state, the state universities were, were, cre were created so, yes. so that there was a forum where, where people could learn how to farm. Exactly. We have a wonderful ag agricultural department uh, at OSU, and uh, they uh, have just done a fantastic job at supporting our local farming community, especially during the last 10 years when it's changed quite a bit. Uh, um, and so we've, uh, all the farmers have done a really good job keeping up with the changes and uh, evolving their uh, farming models and, and how they farm and how they get the produce or their product out to the communities. Yeah, now what, what is this TILF um, certification or award? Just another way uh, to say soil. Right. Uh, uh, Oregon, yeah, Oregon Tilth uh, has, if you're certified Oregon Tilth, um, it is uh, an organic certification, and it's also, um, it also means that you are farming uh, sustainably and sustainably according to the certification, the Oregon Tilth certification and uh, it's, it's another it's another way to uh, protect the land and keep the land uh, uh, rich and uh, healthy for future uh, crops you could also say it's a fancy word for dirt yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> yeah. I, I was so startled to to come across that picture of that Highland cow, the cattle. Oh, yes. The I didn't know. They're really fierce. We've encountered them in, in, in Scotland, and they look fierce, yes. but they're not. Yes. That, that is Martin Farms out in Molala, Oregon, and I had the pleasure of interviewing Rick and uh, his wife Susan and uh, getting a chance to walk their beautiful farm and uh, the mamas and the adult uh, highlands are rather aloof and just kind of watch <laughs> the babies are so pretty and they followed us everywhere from a distance um, but they are very curious uh, and uh, little little creatures and adorable. Um, and it's an interesting, they're an interesting breed. They're one of the most, uh, I think it's one of the most ancient breed of cattle. And, sure uh, looks and ancient. Take, <laughs> yes. And they take uh, three years to mature. So rather than the 18 months for other uh, cattle, um, Rick holds his, the, his highlands for three years. He raises them for three years before they go to market. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, I've, the I've seen them in their native Scotland. Oh, I would love to. That's a so large number. <laughs> they, they do look really fierce. Don't they? <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, they can be. I have seen them uh, as pets. Youngberg Hill uh, in uh, McMinnville, Oregon is a winery, a dry farm wine. They have a dry farm wine, and they have a pair of highlands that are actually quite friendly. Uh, but for the most part, they're they're an aloof uh, breed of cattle. They they like you to look at them, but not get too close. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they they scare me. <laughs> I would never be tempted. No, no, you do have um, you you have some interesting characters that you started to say about you know, they're new farmers. Like like winemakers, you, if you're around a lot of winemakers, you find out some people just um, have a full career and then dump all of that and start all over again growing grapes and making wine. Yes, that uh, Cowhorn uh, Wineries and uh, Vineyard, Cowhorn Vineyard and Garden would comes to mind. Uh, he was in uh, on Wall Street. His wife was in finance, and they decided one day that they're done and they were going to go uh, grow wine, uh, grow grapes. And uh, Youngberg Hill, uh, Wayne Bradley, uh, the same thing. And uh, also our um, uh, our very first black winemaker, Bertoni Fox. I'm just looking at his street. picture here. <clears throat> yes. The, yeah. Um, he was in. This, this is, um, what is his name? Bertoni uh, Faustin. Mm-hmm. Bertoni Faustin. <clears throat> yeah, and um, I, I've been thinking of doing a, um, a, a special segment on, on the black wine, African-American wine growers or whatever, wine producers, uh, have yeah. started organizing. And uh, the, the guy who started it was somebody we interviewed, oh, how many years ago, Rabbit? Many years ago. Probably 15 at least. At least, and Mac McDonald, and he just founded this organization to promote um, African American uh, wine growers and winemakers. And I uh, was just—that's right. It was just a coincidence. It was right on my desk, and, and uh, <laughs> I opened your book, and there there was the picture of, of, yeah. of the uh, North Plains winemaker you know. yeah abby creek mm-hmm. yeah and bertoni uh he was in the medical field had a great career and yeah. uh, decided at one point uh he was going to grow grapes and become a grape farmer and i i remember him saying you know um if i'm going to make wine but if that doesn't work i guess i'll make raisins and yeah I that was- <laughs> you have that in your book it's good yeah well, he was such a, an interesting interview. He was fascinating, and he's very positive. He did a lot of wonderful, positive um, uh, talks and speeches, and he's just a really good, good person, just a good-hearted person, and makes an amazing bottle of wine. Uh, it's just a blast to speak with. We we have a winemaker in um, uh, Slovenia 
who did a little book. He's kind of a philosopher type person, and and he said um, people uh, who grow grapes believe in a future. <laughs> yes, which I thought was great. Yeah. I love it. I also found it interesting that all of my, all of the uh, in the book, uh, Calhoun, Creek, Youngberg, Kittle, Willamette Valley, Korea, if you speak to any of the winemakers or the owners of the, of the, of the wines or the companies, they'll tell you that they are farmers first. And I found that interesting. Yes, they're winemakers, but they are farmers, and they grow grapes. Uh, and for them, that's where it all begins. That's where it all starts. And uh, I, I love that. I, I, I want to congratulate you, uh, Carissa Bennett, on your book, The Oregon Farm Table Cookbook, because you convey you convey the whole spirit that I always associate, and it's why I love Oregon, uh, of the place and the people. And, and also you, you provide very uh, interesting, creative, and flavorful recipes as well. We, we can oh, go back and, and talk through all those too. There's so many of them, 101. Mm-hmm. Just remember, listeners, to, sort, to seek out this book. And you'll jazz up your, your eating routine for sure. <laughs> Next up, we're going to round off today's program with another timely theme. Um, it's Capri Cafano's book, United We Eat. And certainly in such a divisive period in our history, we need to be united in something. And she brings us together with 50 great American dishes. And um, it, it's, it's, it features a lot of major politicians. And um, it's, it's a great book. We have, first of all, your name is fabulous, Capri S. Cafaro. Wow. <laughs> you should be in <laughs> politics with such a great name. Well, you know, you it, you know, you funny you mentioned because I spent yeah. most of my life in politics, right? We know, we noticed that. Um, you know, you're from Ohio. Did you know my uncle, who was your congressman for a while from from um, uh, Guernsey County, Jack Henderson? Oh, and no, he was uh, a Guernsey judge. County is a, is a little it's a little further south from me. Yeah, right. It's true. Yeah. Anyhow, but um, the funny, the funny thing, the funny thing about Anne's uncle Jack was that he was a real Puritan type of kind of fellow, but the name Wayne Hayes will undoubtedly be familiar to you. Oh yeah, no, I know Wayne Hayes. That's Wayne Hayes took Jack Henderson all over the place. <laughs> oh wow! Um, I don't know if I did that. So in the in the. Um, period of time when um, my uncle was in Congress, I used to get a um, series of cookbooks, um, which was, um, they were, it was, the series was um, called the Congressional Cookbook or something like that. 
Yes. So when I got this book, it reminded me of that. I, the book, I should say, that we're talking about, it's not my um, the, my uh, relative's congressional cookbook, but it's called United We Eat, and certainly United is what we really ought to be looking to do right now. Uh, 50 Great American Dishes to Bring Us All Together, which is where we'd like to be, Right. I would absolutely, and that's exactly why I decided to put this book together. Um, I, as, well, I think we, when we started our conversation, uh, I actually spent 10 years um, elected as a member of the Ohio Senate, um, and a period of that time actually as minority leader as well. Um, and during that period of time, before I was term limited, um, when I would work with individuals across the aisle on bills, I would oftentimes make a pie and bring it in. Um, to uh, celebrate these individual legislative victories. And um, it would be a way to bring the offices together, Democrats and Republicans, build camaraderie, um, and focus on what we have in common. And so I thought to myself, what better way to bring people together um, than through food and embarked on this journey to try to get um, Democrat and Republican political leaders from across the country to submit recipes talking about how they've used food as uh, a way to bring people together. And then uh, the remainder of the recipes, which is uh, a little over half of the recipes in the book, I adapted myself. So there is Yeah, I saw that. You did a lot of work on the recipes. They're not just... Yep. I mean, the, the book that I remember just... I don't know who wrote the recipes, but they only had, you know, the, the sponsors... Um, name. It was usually somebody pretty famous. On well, for the congressional, and, and, and for the congressional cookbooks, for the congressional cookbooks, I mean, basically, they the congressional cookbooks usually were done, um, you know, explicitly for um, for charity. They were done, you know, by the individual congressional wives, and so uh, that's they, right. You know, which which is which is which is you know obviously somewhat of a antiquated thought now as you know we we continue to elect more women to congress but um you know that that is uh very much and i actually have one that i got at um like a flea market uh an original one from the 1970s that actually was signed by uh then spouse elizabeth dole to bob dole um, uh-huh. So those are those are very storied cookbooks, and and definitely. Yeah, right. you know, I don't know what happened to mine. I had a whole bunch of them, and That's I don't know cool. what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're they're interesting. They're out there. You can find them on eBay, and you're right that there is a bit of, um, you know, a similarity there because there are you know submissions from Democrats and Republicans. Uh, men and women, uh, currently elected, formerly elected, some that were party leaders as well. So it's a real mix, and, and that's on purpose. Um, again, to show that, um, you know, we we can come together through food, we can set the table for compromise um, through bringing people together through food, and we can also tell our nation's story through food. Uh, and, and I think that's important as well, and that's where I drew my inspiration for developing the recipes that are featured in this book, the ones that I did. I did a lot of research trying to identify the elements of um, of the different you know, agricultural products of a state. Maybe they have an iconic dish or an iconic food brand, those sort of things, and, and that's where I try to bring those things together to create a recipe. I mean, you did a lot of work on this. I mean, I, recipe writing um, is viewed as sort of 
garden variety cookbook, but it's not. It's really specific and difficult. It was hard, and this was my first my first time out, and I have to thank the folks that were also recipe testers, um, making sure that, you know, these things actually were, you know, checked and rechecked. So the folks at Story Farm Press who published uh, this cookbook, United We Eat, they were very, they, you know, they were great to work with and, and, you know, were able to test all the recipes and make sure that, you know, I wasn't totally crazy. <laughs> and that was helpful. <laughs> and frankly, you know, we also, we also got, you know, some recipes from these elected officials who, you know, were not, you know, 100% sure they work either. So it was, you know, having that collaboration <laughs> and, and people, you know, you get to really see behind the curtain there on, on what happens. Yeah. I, I, I like the behind the curtains of the personalities. Yeah, tell, tell us about that. Like some of the, some of the characters like uh, Pat, Patrick Moynihan and Alfonso. Oh, he Demato was legendary. Actually succeeding in getting along. Which oh yes, well, you're, I think you're referring to uh, Patrick Kennedy from Rhode Island, and then Alphonse D'Amato from New York. They're two former elected, one Democrat, one Republican, and they both share stories um, in the book about how they've used uh, food to bring people together. With Alphonse D'Amato, it's for the recipe that he used was actually his mother's lasagna recipe, and um, he would have uh, frequent lunches and dinners um, to bring people together from both sides of the aisle to collaborate. And then uh, Congressman Patrick Kennedy's uh, story, uh, he represents Rhode Island in the book. His is very interesting. Oh, right, because, right, right. Uh, he no, I actually... Got, I, I, got the wrong, I got the wrong person. You're wrong. I got the wrong Patrick. Oh, it's okay. I'm sure that Patrick Kennedy would not feel bad about being compared to Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was an absolute <laughs> legend, well, I, I, uh, well, rep- representing New York character. in the Senate. I love the, ref- I, I love the reference to him that... I forget CNN. I, I think had it, had it on most recently uh, that, that he said everybody, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. That is true. <laughs> I, I tend to agree with that, but you know, I, I would say, and that the, that's the thing about you know recipes <laughs> as well is that when you cook, um, it's yes, you know, you want to. I mean, depending on you know what you're doing, because a lot of times baking is more of a science than an art, and then you know cooking, so to speak, is more of an art than a science, right? But you know, you can always make something your own. If you don't like an aspect, you can always tweak it. And and I think that you know that is is a way that you know look, it's it's a way to compromise as well. You may have guests over that you know may want uh, maybe they don't like things as spicy. Maybe they maybe they you know don't eat seafood. And you can substitute those things out. And so it's a metaphor as well um, for working together and finding that common ground. Um, now it's become, I mean, it never used to be quite this um, um, difficult. I mean, now um, you, you should talk to a chef or a restaurateur. Uh, I can tell this from having a dinner party um, where eight of us, I mean, one didn't eat spicy, one didn't eat um, meat, but ate fish. <laughs> Somebody else didn't eat fish, but ate meat. I mean, it, it's crazy. And we went to a, it was at a Chinese restaurant for Chinese New Year. With what? Happened? Was it wasn't that wasn't that the night we went to that Chinese restaurant in School Hill? No, it's when we had the dinner party at our house. I had no idea oh, what I was uh, going to do. Uh, well, I, I, I guess we got con- people got confused <laughs> there as well. Well, well, you know what? It's more and more times. You know, you have folks that um, you know. We have a lot of people that. Um, 
have more dietary restrictions and, and that sort of thing. And that's becoming increasingly more relevant, too. You're right about that. I, I mean, I think that people have to understand the difference between not liking or sensitivity to as opposed to allergy. Right. <laughs> but anyhow, that has no, that's neither here nor there with this book. I mean, did you get to reject the recipes, or there were just because I remember some of those recipes in the, the congressional cookbook were just awful. <laughs> no, I didn't reject any recipes, but we did, as I said, try to make sure that they were actually in working order. But I, I did not reject anything, um, you know. And then most of them had had a lot of thought behind them, and um, you know that is. Um, that's good. I mean, it's, it's, you know, people are sharing their own stories. You know, Donna Brazil, for example, who was the former chair of the, um, no, she's the other uh, yeah, of the uh, Democratic National Committee. She shares her personal gumbo recipe representing Louisiana. So, you know, you have folks that, that are sharing their stories. And, and I think that as well, you know, you may not agree with somebody's politics, but maybe you really like, you know, their, the re- their recipe and that's a place to start. And, and, um, that's really all we're looking for right now is that at a time that, that the nation is so divided, um, we need to look at the low-hanging fruit and see, um, you know, how we can best find ways, find common ground. And sometimes it seems almost impossible, but this is a good place to, to start. Catherine, do you, do you really think there's a way out? I mean, it's just, it's just so bloody awful, if you pardon my French, just just <laughs> now. I, I, I don't I don't know who's I don't know which side is of the aisle is the worst. But, but neither, oh, I mean, neither, neither, neither of them are anything to, to write home about. Oh, I mean, there's no. I mean, I will say you are you are right about the fact that you know I would say that there's enough blame to go along, to go around. Let's put it that way. Okay. I mean, it is, and I, you know, there's there's definitely enough blame to go around. I think you know we see a lot of echo chambers of you know people listening to whatever news they think that's their opinions, um, you know, on both sides of the aisle. And you know, but there are still people that are really longing to find ways for compromise to move things forward. And sadly. I think that, you know, as time has passed and, you know, I, I, I point to two things about why things are so divided. Usually mm-hmm. one is campaign finance reform mm-hmm. and the other is gerrymandering. The fact that our districts are so either heavily oh, Democrat or heavily Republican that there's no motivation for compromise. And sure. so when you don't have a motivation to compromise because you're so afraid about getting a primary challenge from either from whatever side of the aisle you're on within your party, um, you know, people are not rewarded for compromise now, and I think that it's going to take significant reform on redistricting, which we're starting to see across the country, um, as a manner, as, as really a way to move things forward. But in the meantime, you know, we can still all cook and eat, right? Well, you can't have a state, a, a state dinner that would invite the opposite party. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Well, as long as as long as it actually, um, you know, we got to make sure that you, it it uh, complies with those, uh, you know, rules because you know Congress has a lot of rules when it comes to um, gifts and dinners and that sort of thing. But you know what? Like, um, there used to be times, um, and we did this in, again at the state level in the state legislature where Democrats and Republicans would get together. And it humanized people. It brought, it made people, you know, when you know somebody's background and their family and, you know, their likes and dislikes, it makes, 
it makes them it makes it harder to fight with them. It makes it harder to vilify them. And we unfortunately these days see way too much of that. And um, oh, I mean, I, I, that civility. My uncle wouldn't even recognize the uh, political rally that's taking place today. I used to go on the campaign trail with him. And let me tell you, I mean, what's going on today would have been so totally foreign to that period of time. Totally foreign. He wouldn't have understood it. He wouldn't have believed it. He would have been outraged. And I think, you know, it sounds like your your uncle, I'm sure, is not alone in that. Um, I think that a lot of people, um, you know, if they are, I'll give you two examples of two former governors, John Kasich. Uh, and Tom Ridge, um, you know, from our respective states of, of Ohio. Yeah, and, I know, you know, I know them both, right. And, and so, you know, the, here are two people that, um, you know, were elected by both Democrats and Republicans, were able to find consensus. And I think, you know, when I've seen them speak out in, you know, today's media basically saying that, um, you know, that the spirit of public service has been lost. And, um, and again, that's that's a bit of what I've been trying to wanted to restore um, in in this book, United We Eat, which you know I'm proud to say came out on the Fourth of July, uh, is available on Amazon as, um, uh, for everyone. Okay. And now, I mean, are you done with politics, or are you still dipping your toe in here and there? Uh, I'm very, I'm still very involved in. In my community, I never say never about politics, but that's really I don't see that in my in my future right now. Uh, you know, I'm still very involved in my community organizations, uh, members, of, you know, of the board of my local university, the advisory council of my domestic violence shelter in my area, the senior center in my area, the Ohio Association of Free Clinics. So, you know, I'm so I'm very engaged I mean, so you in, have, in trying to yeah. to do okay. my service. Um, and help people. But, um, you know, as far as being elected right now, um, I, you know, or running for another elected um, position, um, I don't I don't see that in the immediate future, but, you, you know, you never know what the future will hold. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how far a cookbook will take you politically, but it, it certainly is a fine-looking book, too. I mean, you couldn't look well, patriotic. You, and it's got, well, it's got a lot of wonderful stories in it. Yes, it's, and I'm glad that you all have enjoyed it. Oh, I, 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 I've been, oh, enjoy, I've been enjoying it. Absolutely. And, and uh, you're to be congratulated on the book. You're to be congratulated on the fine career in public service. And I wish there oh, were more like you. you that I could vote for. <laughs> well, you're very kind. That, that definitely is... Uh, that puts a smile on my face for sure. And, and good, look, you know, we, uh, nothing about this book was supposed to be anything about, you know, a political calling card or, or trying to catapult me further in, in, in a political career. You know, this really was a labor of love. It was an opportunity to really, you know, also, as I said before, try my hand and, and get experience in this area. I've always cooked and baked. Um, you know, learned uh, with my Italian grandmother. Yeah, you're an Italian. I mean, you I mean, this exactly. was, I was so, raised in that same environment, and boy, you cooked, didn't you? <laughs> that's cooked. right, and and uh, you know, and and so because of that, this is it really has been a passion, and um, a portion of the proceeds I will be donating to Feeding America as well, which is a decision I made a long time ago because I, you know, I, food 
food insecurity is absolutely unacceptable in this country. And so, you know, I thought that it was important um, to set an example and, and ensure that at least a portion of the proceeds went to charity. Um, and because this is a cookbook, um, obviously, you know, Feeding America seems like a good fit. Right. Now, we, 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 we have to ask you for a, a recommendation or a, or a conclusion as to who, who's going to win in November. <laughs> I mean, we can't, you know, we, we can't, we, Nikki, Robert. We, we can't let you go without you answer that question. Well, I would have said Donald Trump um, at the beginning of the summer, um, yeah. but now I'm not. So, now I'm not so sure. Um, so we'll. I mean, it's. I, I wish I could give you a better predictor. I do think that Trump will win Ohio, but I think Joe Biden's going to win Pennsylvania. Um, and so I think that since the electoral college map is actually. Uh, the same map as 2016, we're dealing with those same, you know, Midwestern and industrial states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin are going to be key to all of this. And right. I think that those states are much more competitive now than they were even two months ago. Um, so I think a lot will will hinge on where the economy is at uh, come November, um, as, as well as obviously where things stand in the pandemic. But again, my hope here is that in these very uncertain times that, um, you know, we can all find a glimmer of hope and a little bit of positiveness. And be nice to each other. Be nice. That's right. That's right. Can we we please get rid of Mitch McConnell? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't have You didn't realize you were getting into a a very political interview here. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? That's, That's perfectly fine with me. Very, very good. My I want to know who's who's going to stop the gerrymandering. I mean, I thought maybe they'd start stepping up on that, but they're not. Depends on the state. It depends on the state. So in Ohio, we actually did redistricting reform two years ago, but it doesn't, maybe a little bit more, but it doesn't go into effect until after the census. So it, the first new map would be in 2022. Okay. And each state has really, like, taken up their own because the states have jurisdiction over how they draw those congressional and state legislative lines. So right. each state has to do it on their own. So some places have a commission, some places appoint judges. Everybody does it is doing it a little bit differently, um, you know. But I think slowly but surely we are seeing a little bit of traction on that, and it's going to take time. It's such an unruly system, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So that, that's that's our that's our nation system. We are we are a federalist system, and we have fifty states that, that all have you know rights. We might have 51 if, if somebody would ease up true. a little on D.C. <laughs> hey, hey, we, we I might, actually think they're going to pull it off. We, we Do you? Have, we I wish have, they would. We might have 49. We might be able to get rid of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey now. See, we've got to be nice to all 50 states. Our <laughs> I know, I know. See, you got yourself into a mess with us, Capri. <laughs> oh, no. It's oh, that's, that's I, get, I've enjoyed our conversation. That's what you get from writing a book I enjoy so much. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, but, but thank you so much. We have we have also a lot of fun with the U.K. politics, yeah. as you could well imagine. Oh, yes, I, I know. And I, I Boris, spent a lot of time yeah, well, over we're, there. We're not, we're not going, we're not going there. Okay. <laughs> we Skype with day. all our relatives that oh, are there. Once again, thank you for your, thank you for your contribution to the world of gastronomy and thank and thank you for a good conversation this afternoon it was yeah so nice meeting you you both so much i hope we meet again thank you
Thank me you. Me too. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> okay, so you're not going to be short of ideas for what to do in the kitchen. Right. At least for, at least for a few weeks. We're so, so glad we were able to, to share these fine books with you. And, of course, we'll be back same time, same place next week. So we hope you'll join us then. And until then, bye-bye.